This is the In Focus podcast from the Hindu. Hello and welcome to another episode of the In Focus podcast. I'm your host Jee Sampath. Maldives has elected a new president, Mohammad Muizu from the Progressive Party of Maldives. In the elections that just concluded in September, he defeated the incumbent Ibrahim Mohammad Soli of the Maldivian Democratic Party. These elections have been viewed by many as a referendum on the country's foreign policy. While Soli was perceived as pro-India, Muizu is seen by many as pro-China. And one of the main election promises made by Muizu during his campaign was to end any Indian military presence on Maldivian territory. Now, Muizu is formally set to take office on November 17th. So, some questions do come up in this context. So, what prompted Muizu to take a public stance against Indian military presence in Maldives? Will Maldivian foreign policy now take a pro-China tilt? And for India, what are the strategic implications of Soli's exit from power? We discuss all these questions and more in this episode of InFocus. And we have with us Meera Srinivasan, the Hindu's Sri Lanka correspondent, who also reports for us on Maldives. Meera, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Sampath. Uh, Meera, to start with, uh, I was just wondering if you can comment on the general perception, you know, outside Maldives, that you know earlier during the the current uh, president elect uh, Muizu, he was the housing minister in the earlier stint of his party in power under Abdullah Yamin, and Yamin's uh, regime was marked by authoritarianism and corruption, and uh, Ibrahim Soli, who came later, was supposed to be the democratic antidote to this authoritarian kind of regime. So now, why did the people of Maldives pick Muizu, who was from the same regime that oversaw crackdown on dissent and so on? Right. Yeah. Uh, I think there have been multiple reasons for Soli's position to weaken. As you rightly said, at the time that he won elections in 2018, he was perceived as somebody who would give democratic uh, uh, leadership to Maldives and restore its uh, credentials on the international stage because the Amin administration had uh, become more and more hostile to many partners. So that was the sentiment when um, Soli came into power. But uh, over time, a strong anti-incumbency sentiment set in. People expected, I think, way more by way of economic opportunity development and, you know, the past five years were not particularly easy for anyone, including solely leading countries because of COVID, you know, the challenges with recovery. Then the second important factor was really the Nasheed factor. Now, you might remember that in 2018, when Soli was first fielded by the Maldivian Democratic Party, it was with Nasheed's full endorsement. He couldn't contest, but he was endorsing Soli entirely and campaigning for him, leading the campaign, in fact. So the gradual fallout between the two leaders within the MDP and their eventual breaking up left you know, many within the MDP quite disillusioned and torn, not knowing which side to take and how and so on. And thirdly, the human rights community, the civil society in Maldives was also quite disappointed with Soli. They backed him in that 
campaign hoping that he would um, open up democratic space space for dissent but uh, they increasingly felt that you know his government was not taking adequate action against corruption and there were many attempts to stifle free media protests became harder and you know this uh, human rights community was also disillusioned with him and finally the proximity of the soli administration to india has also caused him not entirely because you know a huge population of maldivians think it's a major problem but because abdullah yamin and the opposition camp that he leads was quite uh, you know successful in crafting this india out campaign and mobilizing support so in a sense there were a lot of you know there was this anti incumbency sentiment other reasons for criticism of the soli regime but in a way yamin was able to channel all that into this india out campaign that became a very convenient and effective vehicle to channel this resentment against the soli administration and uh, we saw that the election results after the runoff um, very clearly showed us that uh, maldivians wanted change and they voted for that right i mean anti incumbency and wanting change is uh, completely understandable uh, yes as you said uh, the covid years were not very great uh, for the country uh, but then you also made a nuanced point on the india out campaign uh, mira you just said that it's not like the people are anti india but then the opposition was able to build a campaign around uh, the india out sentiment so is is it so, is it really fair to describe the outgoing regime of soli as a pro india which gave a free rein to india to do whatever it wanted and so on and so forth or is it just a narrative uh, built up by the opposition how much of it is real how much of it is just uh, a kind of a, a propaganda here i think to call the ibrahim mohammed soli administration as pro india is a very fair characterization um you know basically because his government stated foreign policy was india first they said we have an india first foreign policy and uh, i remember in uh, 2021 in an interview president soli told us that male makes no apology for this choice for these close ties with india it that is a very conscious choice because of proximity because of the nature of uh, partnership and this he said when the india out campaign was already picking up so he it was a very considered deliberate position so uh, we also saw that during the last 5 years there were multiple high level visits from both sides a greater focus on development cooperation defense cooperation and india committed about 1.4 billion dollars towards social economic development projects in maldives but you know there were no um, visible uh sort of hostilities otherwise there was no tension say with china or with any other big power the soli administration continued cordial diplomatic ties with many other powers including china and uh, this was uh, a little different to how it was when Pre- president yamin was in power now we know that his regime was seen as having an obvious china tilt but also his hostility with india was no secret the strain in relations uh, between delhi and male was quite stark at that time so in that yes it's fair to call the soli regime pro india but i don't think they were pro india at the cost of other diplomatic relations uh, at least from uh, policy measures but by way of perception i think uh, 
while the population itself may not hold that uh, criticism, I think uh, the proximity to India made the Soli administration look weaker in the eye of the average Maldivian in some sense. I think that also contributed to the vote. Right. I mean, the bone of contention, I think, mainly uh, whether it's pro-India or not, is the presence of 75, which is a very tiny number if you look at generally, you know, countries having military presences in other territories. 75 Indian soldiers on Maldivian soil. This has been uh, at the basis of this India out campaign of uh, the current uh, president-elect. Now, I was just curious, does India really need these soldiers to be there uh, for whatever purposes we want them there? I mean, can't we just train Maldivian soldiers to take care of the helicopters, etc., which they are there to maintain? Or is there some other reason why we want them there? Right. Uh, yeah, 75 uh, could seem a small number, but we are also speaking of a country that itself is small. I mean, the population of Maldives is roughly 5 lakh. So um, that is the context. And the, you know, Indian presence is tied to uh, the two helicopters and the Donia aircraft gifted by India, which have been, you know, cumulatively present for over a decade. And the Maldives National Defense Force commands these uh, helicopters and aircrafts gifted by India. And I believe in the past, India has trained Maldivian defense personnel to maintain these. And also, India otherwise is a very important uh, uh, defense partner and a big component of Maldivian military training is tied to Indian defense establishment. But uh, despite the training that India has provided in the past, an Indian military crew or a technical team basically remains despite this concerted campaign and resistance from the opposition. So this could only mean that India values that presence and Indian government deems this presence necessary in the context of India's broader concerns uh, for a safe Indian Ocean region. Because otherwise, uh, you know, it would be possible for India also to withdraw the military personnel easily to um, East Tensions. But the fact that they remain says that it is important and necessary for India in the context of broader Indian Ocean region uh, security. And India's argument has been that anyway, it's the Maldives uh, Defense Force that commands, that tasks these uh, helicopters and aircrafts. It's uh, true that the Indian military personnel are there for maintenance and operation, but all the decision making lies with the Maldives National Defense Force. And in that, sovereignty uh, factor is addressed. So that has been India's argument. Right, but, if, but, but the Muizu has made... Uh getting Indian military presence completely eliminated from Maldivian territory as his main election promise. So suppose uh, after he assumes office on November 17th, after that he says, no, all of you, all 75 leave. Like what option does India have? I mean, uh, do we, can we then say, no, we won't? I mean, like, is, is that likely to happen or are there other factors uh, at play which could sort of, uh, even if let's say Muizu wants uh, Maldivian foreign policy to be in favor of China. I mean, given India's concerns, can he even actually go ahead and uh, follow such a policy? So, as of now, uh, the president-elect has not taken a very confrontational approach to this. Although he has repeatedly said he wants Indian military out, he's made virtually, uh, you know, every uh, international media outlet interview about that. 
mean, also because he's been asked about it. But yeah, that's his main talking point. But he's not confrontational. He says, I've held multiple discussions with the uh, Indian government representatives, with the Indian mission here. And I'm pretty optimistic about being successful. So he's so far uh, pitching it in a very uh, cordial and in a, a very professional way, not uh, in a confrontational way. And uh, I mean, if he says after assuming power that the Indian military has to leave, it's going to be quite difficult for India because they saw a similar sentiment expressed by President Yamin during his time when he wanted the Indian helicopters out no matter what. So it would lead to a confrontation. It would lead to tensions. And uh, uh, I don't think uh, it's going to be easy for India too to uh, assert itself in that situation because he's a democratically elected leader demanding that of uh, a partner, a diplomatic partner. So it's going to be quite challenging, which is also why India would be very keen to amicably resolve or arrive at some sort of consensus with him before he actually uh, takes over. Yeah, that That is something we have to watch uh, how that might unfold. But we also see an acknowledgement from um, uh, Muzu that India ties are important. He says we can't change geography. We are a very close neighbor. So in that, he says, uh, I'm not against India. I'm not against Indian people. It's just that this particular element of uh, physical presence of Indian military is not something he can accept. Uh, it was part of his campaign. It has to continue uh, as part of his, uh, uh, you know, messaging to the electorate, his supporters mainly. So uh, we have to see how this pans out. But very interestingly, he's also been commenting on Chinese assistance in a very positive way, because as you know, and you mentioned, he was housing minister overseeing uh, the China-Maldives friendship bridge. So he says these projects have really served the people and many Maldivians also share that sentiment. But he, uh, I don't know whether it's out of caution or convenience, he doesn't comment on the debt element with China because many of the projects are also tied to huge sums of debt and uh, Maldives is uh, at the moment uh, staring at a, uh, an imminent debt challenge because of the amount they have to service in the coming years, not only Chinese debt, different sources of debt. So it's uh, on the one hand challenging for India if he takes such a strong position after resuming office. On the other, it's not uh, very easy for Muzu to also choose one or the other because of all the challenges that await him when he assumes leadership. Because if he has to negotiate this major economic challenge, he will need all partners, particularly India and China, who are very um, uh, critical lenders to the Maldives. Right. Uh, so, I mean, you, you've taken, you explained in great detail, Mira, how uh, Muizu has been uh, quite, uh, what should I say, soft in, in terms of uh, what was a strident campaign to have India out. But he's been keen to maintain cordial relations with India as well. Uh, and that has been his uh, general stance in various interviews. But I was just curious, I mean, during the campaign, uh, it was India out. And he has uh, been uh, sort of perceived as pro-China. So does India out, would it translate into China first when he becomes the president? Because even if, let's say, the military presence uh, continues, uh, there are a lot of other 
uh, other elements which are which are at play here. The, both the countries, as in all the three countries, have huge stakes uh, in in terms of uh, other other domains such as the economy, for instance. So, what would a China first approach look like, and uh, is that likely? So, um, when he was asked about this in one of his recent interviews, uh, the president-elect said that. Uh, he is not pro-China or pro-any other country or anti-specific country, and that he's first and foremost pro-Maldives, and he cares most about the Maldives' sovereignty and development. So that is how he's positioning himself, and he has not uh, explicitly stated his preference for China as the Maldives' uh, main diplomatic partner. At the same time, some commentators within the Maldives and some within the Indian establishment also, uh, you know, hold the opinion that he is soft on Chinese engagement and loans in particular. But we can't really comment on that until he assumes office and actually takes policy decisions because now it's all in the realm of rhetoric. He's also still in that campaign mode while he himself has sought to be a little more uh, you know, uh, pragmatic about how he deals with the, the India out sentiment. We don't know how this would translate once he assumes power. I think, uh, I don't know whether he will pursue uh, uh, China first policy. I don't know whether it will be a stated policy. It's hard to say that at this time. So I just thought uh, moving uh, on to the uh, the other element we've discussed the military side of things uh, in detail like how does india's investments and the economic footprint in maldives compare with that of china's because i was just wondering i mean you i mean uh, from what muizu has been saying and from what you have said about his uh, general uh, attitude to this question uh, if there is a perception that the previous regime of soli was extremely pro india uh, then uh, this muizu uh, his campaign has been about India out and then now he's sort of walking it back a little bit saying we're not anti or pro, we are Maldives first. Then does it really mean that it's going to be a more balanced rather than a clearly India tilted kind of a policy? And how does that look when we look at the econ economy of the Maldivian, uh, the Maldivian economy and India's investments vis-a-vis China's? Uh Okay, to start with, India has committed during Soli's uh, uh, government's time uh, about $1.4 billion towards socio-economic projects, as I mentioned. Significantly, uh, you know, connectivity projects, linking up different uh, islands and atolls and necessary infrastructure for that. That's been India's focus, really. And also community-based projects. So a lot of very local projects that would benefit uh, uh, communities in different atolls. China has also been historically an important development partner in, in investing in large-scale infrastructure projects, housing, energy, tourism, communications, and so on. But the terms of the assistance, the terms of the loans are said to be different. Indian loans, uh, it is said, come at a slightly more concessional rate compared to other loans. but these figures are not easily accessible in public domain. We can only go by claims and uh, we don't know the exact uh, term. We don't know the precise terms of these lendings. And uh, you asked me if, uh, you know, uh, 
it's possible for the government to continue no after leading uh, such a strident india out campaign it would be very difficult for the new government to continue with this kind of an india first policy so they will have to balance it out a little and that, that will mean that they will have to balance it out with china so the extent of this balancing the nature of this balancing will determine how india reacts or responds so we have to see how that pans out right but even if it's not even if it falls a well short of a pro china tilt even if it if if it's going to be a balancing act i think it will still mean some amount of pain for india because at the moment as things stand it is clearly a pro india Uh, economy and a pro india tilt uh, for the regime as well one last question mira before we wrap up now uh, we have done uh, a similar kind of a podcast on sri lanka as well and there too we had uh, this uh, this rivalry for influence between india uh, and china uh, on this island and you know there were concerns from india about this chinese research vessel which was docking there and so on now we have a similar scenario here and and in this context there is something which we have talked about uh, in the paper which is about this india lanka maldives trilateral so what has happened uh, to this trilateral and is is it something that india can look to to sort of preserve its influence in the region and also as a member of quad it might want to sort of keep chinese influence in check how does this trilateral thing uh, like developing now right so um uh, this was started uh, uh, quite a few years ago but nsa level talks were revived only in 2020 after a gap of 6 years with the aim of improving intel sharing in the region and cooperating more on maritime security which is a very important pillar for uh, uh, you know uh, indian strategic uh, affairs so uh, india sri lanka and the maldives have been uh, having this conversation and more recently mauritius bangladesh and seychelles were also brought in and in uh, march last year this group adopted an agenda of five pillars on maritime security countering terrorism radicalization combating trafficking and organized crime uh, then you know in the area of cyber security and humanitarian uh, assistance and disaster relief and so on so india is looking to keeping this conversation going because of you know the uh, regional significance it holds in terms of strategic and uh, uh, you know indian ocean security concerns uh, so i think that will continue at the moment there is nothing to suggest that you know the incoming regime in the maldives will not cooperate on this front so uh, i i suppose it's going to be a tricky uh, terrain for maldives also to have indian military out but still preserve the essence of this uh, defense and strategic partnership especially because sri lanka is also part of it and the maldives and sri lanka share very very good relations regardless of who is in power in either country so uh, at the moment uh, i think it looks like this will continue unless the new president uh, decides to take a very strong position and um, you know therefore exit this and that would be of even greater concern for india and just to circle back to your last point uh, when we uh, talked about, about uh, the government's foreign policy yes things are not things are definitely not the same for india after the elections in the maldives so um, it, it's not what it was uh, last month before the election so it's going to be challenging for both the incoming administration in the maldives and for india to 
figure out how they're going to work together in this climate. Right. I think that is uh, really well summed up. Thank you, Mira, for that. I think these are uh, going to be a little bit of a tricky time, a challenging time for India and as well as for the incoming administration because they have come on board, they are coming on board with a certain uh, kind of track record in terms of the electoral promises they have made to the people. And uh, India and Maldives, they have got a very rich uh, legacy of cooperation across fields, not just military and culture. And we have also the recent entrant in this uh, equation, which is China, which also has a lot of leverage here uh, with the debt uh, debt challenge, you, you call it a debt challenge, maybe some, some would call it a debt trap, which is also something the incoming administration would need to think about, how it's going to address that aspect. And it's going to be a balancing uh, act for it, but no matter what kind of balancing uh, happens, any balancing is going to be a challenge for India, which has enjoyed a, I mean, a really high level of uh, comfort and influence in this country. Thank you so much, Mira, for joining us and for sharing your observations on this uh, topic. A pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Sampath. Really enjoyed talking to you. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.